Welcome back, everyone. This is The Change Log, and I'm your host, Adam Stachowiak. This is episode 152, and on today's show, Jared and I are talking to two awesome developers behind TypeScript at Microsoft, Jonathan Turner and Anders Hausberg. Jonathan is the program manager, and Anders is the language architect, so we go deep, sit back, and listen as Jared and I get schooled on this typed-based superset of JavaScript. We have three awesome sponsors for the show today, CodeShip, TopTal, and DigitalOcean. We'll tell you a bit more about TopTal and DigitalOcean later in the show, but our friends at CodeShip have this new feature, wildcard deployments. Now you can get more flexible deployment workflows with wildcard deployment pipelines that trigger if a branch starts with a certain prefix. You can do this, it's super easy. Use one deployment configuration for multiple branches and automatically deploy your feature, your release, your QA, etc. branches to the corresponding environments. It's the perfect feature for allowing your team to be super flexible in how you want to work and how your workflows should work for you. As always, CodeShip is free to get started. Get started by trying out their free plan, which includes 100 builds a month and five private projects. Use the offer code, the ChangeLog Podcast, to get 20% off any plan you choose for three months. Head to CodeShip.com slash TheChangeLog to get started. And now, on to the show. All right, everyone, we're back. We got Jonathan Turner line, Anders Hausberg. He, uh, he's done some cool stuff. Anders, we'll let you tell, tell a bit in, the, in here in a second or two. But we also have Jared on the call today talking about TypeScript. Jared, are you excited? I'm excited, man. Second time we have Microsoft people on the change log recently. So. It, it's blowing my mind. It's a new Microsoft, and we'll find more, I'm sure. Jonathan, let's start with you. Um, introduce yourself if you don't mind. Talk about uh, you know who you are at Microsoft, what you do, and then Anders will follow up with you after after Jonathan. Sure thing. So my name is Jonathan Turner. I'm the program manager at Microsoft on the TypeScript team. So a program manager is kind of like I don't know the inglorious <laughs> cat herder. So I, I kind it's of run job. the design. I know, right? Uh, I run the design meetings. I do a lot of connections out to clients and and kind of try to gather all the requirements and make sure we're on the right track. Anders, what about you? Uh, I'm Anders Hausberg, and I'm a um, technical fellow at Microsoft. Um, and uh, these days I'm working on TypeScript, but I've, I've spent many years, over a decade, working on .NET and C Sharp. And before that, I was at Borland for about 13 years and worked on Turbo Pascal and Delphi and Lots of other things. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Jared, in our pre-call, you had some pretty unique uh, asks for Anders. Anything in particular on Delphi? As we in the pre-call, we kind of determined it's not Delphi. It depends on which side of the, the Atlantic <laughs> you live on, if it's Delphi or Delphi. So, what else? I'm just saying, I'm apparently a Brit at heart or something because Delphi just sounds right to me. Always has. So, uh, I've been corrected. I stand corrected. I'm going to try to say Delphi um, <laughs> because Anders, if you say it's Delphi, I'll go with Delphi. Although. To the guy who invented the GIF, I'm not gonna relent on that one. <laughs> I'm not gonna call it. I'm not gonna call it a GIF. Sorry, fella. But for you, Anders, <laughs> I'll definitely go with Delphi. Yeah, I was wondering um, with your history um, and on the Wikipedia page for TypeScript, uh, you're kind of named as I don't know the inventor of TypeScript, or at least the person who got it started inside of of Microsoft. We're curious how that came about. Um, 
if it was your idea, if somebody approached you, if there was a core team at the beginning, maybe just give us a backstory of your role at Microsoft and how TypeScript has been involved in it. Yeah, no, I mean, TypeScript is obviously a team effort. And I would say I, I lead the team as a sort of the architect for the language. And I, I also work in actively on the compiler. Um, the project probably, I'm trying to think, well, we, we went public in October of 2012. I remember that. I was trying to think back the other day when we started. It was probably, well, it must have been sometime in 2011, probably late 2011. Um, and we sort of had this on and off conversation about, well, what, what are we going to do going forward for JavaScript? Um, we saw increasingly that people were writing larger and larger applications in-house as well as externally um, in JavaScript, just because, you know, that's sort of like the, <laughs> the only cross-platform game left in town, right? And um, people were finding, uh, certainly in-house, that it's hard to maintain these large apps uh, as, as they get beyond a certain size. It just becomes incredibly hard to keep it all in your head. And when you want to do uh, refactorings or, or or anything of a larger nature, you know, it's 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 like playing with landmines to refactor a JavaScript code base because you can never really be certain that you have tests to cover everything. And if you pick the name for a property, like say text or whatever, then there's a million of things called text. And how do you know that you're getting the right ones? And 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 people basically were were trying to solve this problem in a variety of different ways. We saw like at Google, for example, they have GWT or GWT as they called it early on, which was the idea there is you author in Java and then you cross-compile it to JavaScript. And that allows you to get the grown-up tooling of Java and the Java ecosystem, but it allows you to run it in the browser. And we actually had a project in-house that was similar in nature called ScriptSharp that Office uh, has used for, for a number of their uh, large projects. Um, and we were sort of toying with the idea, boy, should we productize that maybe? Or but but then the more we thought about it, the more we felt that hey, if 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 you really want to do something in a in a community like JavaScript, you you really should aim to be best of breed. You know, you really should aim to solve the the problems on the on the community's terms, not on your terms, so to speak. And and so, you know, we try to put our JavaScript hat on and go, well, what is it that what is it that a JavaScript programmer would want here for their large apps? And it's clearly not to substitute a different language, but rather it's to remedy, you know, those things that are missing in JavaScript. And at the time, you know, now before ECMAScript 6, that was things like classes and modules, um, but also and, and interfaces, but also, you know, static typing, you know, the ability to actually describe you know, hey, this function, yeah, it takes three parameters. Uh, but by the way, I could also tell you what the types of those parameters are supposed to be. And then maybe you could check it for me instead of just blowing up at runtime. Um, and so so that was sort of the, the genesis of, of TypeScript was really, is there a way we could we could add all of those things to JavaScript without actually messing with its core value proposition, you know, which is that it runs everywhere? And is there a way we could do it so that you can maximally leverage all of the goodness that already existed in the JavaScript uh, ecosystem? You know, I mean, that, that mm -hmm. you, you guys know as, as, as well as we that there's just 
an enormous amount of effort being poured into JavaScript in the open source community around frameworks for, 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 for JavaScript, right? I mean, the classic example is jQuery, but then, you know, beyond that, it's just been astounding how many different frameworks there are. And so part of our design, sort of our key design goal was to make sure that, that we could leverage all of that or that you wouldn't have to give up all of that. Um, and that again, you know, led us basically to, to design a superset of JavaScript that compiles to plain JavaScript. And then, I mean, I think from there on, it, it was, it was really just sort of ex execution. I, I think that that was, that was sort of the, the core insight there was let's not try to, let's not try to <laughs> make you code in JavaScript by, by having you coding something else. Because mm -hmm. that's just never that's just never gonna <laughs> never gonna leverage the knowledge that you already have, and TypeScript really is it is just like coding in JavaScript. I mean, if you look at your method bodies, they are exactly the same code, because mostly we can infer the types for you. Um, it's really just the sort of surrounding fluff, like you know you can put type annotations on your parameters and 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 whatever, and you can write declaration files for existing frameworks so we can pick up the static type information that way. So it was October 2012 when um, it first went public. Like you said, it was probably one or two years before that that you guys were working on it internally. Did you have mm -hmm. internal teams using it um, either in production or in research um, prior to that public launch? We had been about three teams that were using it prior to it going public. Um, one of those teams has now grown to become what's called Monaco. It's like an IDE in the web browser, mm -hmm. um, part of Visual Studio Online. Uh, so that's that's been kind of cool to watch that they've they've been dog fooding since like long before it was public and have been tracking along with us uh, as we've grown they've been growing as well. Yeah, and then the uh, the F12 tools in uh, Internet Explorer uh, were written in TypeScript uh, before we had gone public, uh, and I think we have some Azure properties that also used us uh, before before we went out. Yeah. So what would you say, just estimating the time span between ideation of let's do this superset of JavaScript with type annotations and having something working usable that your teams were using it internally? We're talking six months, a year. Um, how long is that? Yeah, time? somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. Somewhere in that range. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I would say. Yeah, I mean, we started. You know, you you always get there in in circuitous circuitous ways, right? right. I mean, you you know, in in the beginning. The vision I just laid out wasn't actually that clear, you know, and we thought, well, maybe then also, you know, a key aspect is going to be having the VM use this type information to more efficiently execute the code. And that's still an interesting idea, but it turned out not to be the sort of design pivot that that we maybe thought in the, in, in the beginning. Um, I mean, in a sense, like becoming less ambitious made us better able to focus. Right? Once we started thinking tooling is the important part, write ES6 and make good tooling work on top of it. So error checking and navigating to your code. And I show some of this in like the, the ng-conf talk. I don't know if you guys saw that. Yeah. But like you can you can just kind of quickly bounce around your code base doing refactoring, renaming. And, it, and it's really, like Andrews is saying, you're still just, just playing with JavaScript with a little bit of extra help. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess maybe that question, Jerry, might be a little bit bigger than that. So Microsoft's been changing quite a bit over the last, I'd say, year at least, that I can tell from the outside. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, adopting open source, seeing, seeing and embracing open source a lot more, embracing the community, embracing pull requests on GitHub. Um, and I'm wondering what role TypeScript plays in the future of Microsoft's direction, like being HTML, CSS, JavaScript focused in the operating system and on the phone and elsewhere. How does, you know, how did top down this come? Did it come from top down? Did it come from bottom up to see here's how we're solving solutions or solving these problems, but also sort of Microsoft's general direction for product. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's, it's not that it came, it's neither top down nor bottom up. It sort of organically came from people who were more affinitized with areas that, that, that are in the open source space. Do, do, do you know what I mean? It's like HTML, JavaScript, CSS, whatever is, is, very affinitized with open source, I would say, because it's cross-platform, it runs everywhere. That's sort of its bread and butter, right? And and it's it's almost ridiculous to think about doing anything in that space without doing it open source. Um, but but over time, that has gotten truer and truer for for more and more areas, right? As as you know, it it all sort of started with developers, started like very developer technologies, and now it's sort of spread into more and more. You know, throughout the software ecosystem, if 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 you will, I think. I mean, we were early uh, with, you know, on on a Microsoft <laughs> timescale, if you will, with, with with open source and um, and a lot of our learnings we we have shared with other groups in in, in the company and and and. But now, you know, certainly in the division we sit in, the developer division, uh, the default answer here is that it's open source unless you have good reasons why it shouldn't be. Mm. Uh, and that's a big that's a big turnaround from yeah, where is. we were, you know. Uh, and, and that was certainly not the default when we started with TypeScript. Um, but I will say, I mean, uniformly, even at that time, people sort of realized that we have to, we have to do this. It's more a question of how. You know, because this is a big company with a lot of engineering culture that that was just done differently, right? And and it, it you, you don't just change it overnight. And and I would say even for us, you know, like we we sort of we sort of stumbled into open source in the in the beginning a little bit. You know, we we hosted on Codeplex because that was Microsoft's open source uh, uh, repository, right? Then. But that's not really where that community is. And you come to realize that and you come to realize. So they're sort of like doing open source and then there's doing open source the open source way. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the latter takes a while to learn. Right. I mean, or there's just a culture there like there is in any vibrant community. And then you sort of got to experience it in order to 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 live it. Right. Just to speak to your point about how early inside Microsoft y'all were as far as open sourcing, like you said, October 2012. Uh, recently, we had on the .NET Core team. Uh, that's episode one thirty four, and that was like mm-hmm. December twenty fourteen. Was when that show aired. They had open source .NET announced the open sourcing of it uh, sometime yeah. before that, but within six months. So yeah. there's twenty fourteen versus twenty twelve. You guys were definitely one of the earlier teams. Was there a decision to be made, or was it just de facto like was there even a discussion like this is going to be open source, or was that something that y'all had to come to? I think. It was, you know, to 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 the people that were part of that decision. I think it was clear to everyone that there's no way we're going to appeal to the JavaScript community if we're not open source. Um, uh-huh. I mean, we might <laughs> we might appeal to a slice of the JavaScript community, i.e., the slice that uses Microsoft tooling, but 
But that wasn't really the slice that we wanted to appeal to. We wanted to broadly appeal to the JavaScript community and 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 really sort of deliver value in that community, right? And uh-huh. and I think we all understood that that had that that had to mean open source. Uh, it, it just had to. And Anders, does that speak to to your sensibilities? Because languages that you've had, you know, parted in the past, Delphi, proprietary, at least the compiler is. I'm not sure is the specification for Delphi open source. Or is that all proprietary that stuff? <laughs> I don't know that there was one. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's your answer then. Your yeah. answer. Um, no, it was not open. I mean, the heck, open source hadn't been invented at the yeah. time. I don't think you know. So, so there was there was just no way it could be. I mean, an open source. It's it's well, the good stuff was around. I mean, what year? What year was that? Early nineties. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah, but I mean, years. Delphi goes all the way back to Turbo Pascal was in '83, right? I mean, and then and then Delphi sort of grew out of that. But yeah, I, in the Microsoft I, ecosystem there wasn't open source going on back then in the in the '90s when Delphi was having its heyday, right? I'm not sure. I because yeah, I I wasn't here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but but either either way, you know, it's. Um, I mean, the world has changed, right? I mean, and, and and it's just you know, back back then, that was sort of how you 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 bootstrap yourself as a, as a company, you know. Yeah. And I, I will say that the one thing I think that that Turbo Pascal and then Delphi both did was they, um, I mean, Turbo Pascal at the time delivered a product that probably was an order of magnitude more efficient and cost an order of magnitude less. Than its competition, right? And so it maybe wasn't free, but it was pretty close to free. It was fifty bucks, where the competition was five hundred bucks. Wow! Um, and uh, and it ran at least ten times faster than than the competition, right? So so mm-hmm. that, it, so it it definitely it changed things, or or it, it you know in 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 other ways, right? Yeah. Um, Today it's it's funny how we how we sell software and how open source is financed because obviously ultimately someone has to foot the bill right but yep. but but that's a different discussion right but it's it's yep. it's, it's it, yeah 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 that's a that's a discussion we have often on changelog Absolutely. because we're often talking to to you know small startups who are trying to bootstrap a company yeah. and do open source or do open source and and it's still something that people are trying to figure out like is this even yeah. viable. To have yeah. a purely open source company, um, yeah. so yeah, huge discussions and interesting things. But let's let's reel it back in and, and get back to where you guys are at because in 2012 you announced went public. Recently, you know, here we are in, in 2015. We've seen mm-hmm. kind of a I don't know if I'd call it a groundswell quite yet, but it's getting there where all of a sudden adoption is starting to really ramp up. We have um, Angular two um, announcing it'll be TypeScript driven, Dojo two. Definitely others. What can you attribute that to? Is it just it just takes time? Uh, how was it received? Let, let, let's stop there for a second. How was it received when you guys first went public? It was a mix of enthusiasm and suspicion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fair. I remember. I remember the first day when we went public. We were watching all the social media and the Twitter and you know whatever the Twitter. Uh, and I'm I'm watching this stream of just. Negative, just one after another, and then another stream of positive. I'm like, oh my gosh! <laughs> and you know, this is what it's like to to jump right into the pool and and get feedback immediately. Uh-huh. And it was it was interesting to kind of see once people started playing with it, there was definitely a, a trickle, maybe a trickle at first, of people playing with it, saying, "I'm never going to use this." 
but I'm going to try it for five minutes. And then after that going, oh, oh, I get it. I get why they did this. This is actually kind of cool. Um, and I think it took time for people to get over, yes, it's Microsoft, right? Okay, get over that. Try it. Yeah. And, and kind of move towards something of like, it's just a tool. It's just the tool for doing JavaScript and, and web programming and stuff. When you say that, it seems like there's a little bit of suspicion there. You know, maybe the, the initial reaction was like, why is Microsoft doing something open source? And you know, in the in the vein of JavaScript, especially back in 2012, yeah. and we had no there's no precedence of Microsoft doing you know large scale open source projects. Right. No, and our track track record in JavaScript perhaps wasn't the best at that time either. So yeah, I mean it's it's you know you I I always felt like uh, you gotta you gotta earn it you know and. Yeah. And I, I was uh, I was not surprised that we got the reaction that we did. I was actually fairly uh, uh, happy that that we got as much positive reaction to it as 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 we did. Um, and I've always just believed that hey, you know, we're just going to stick to it. We're going to deliver some 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 good product here. We're going to do some good engineering. We're going to try and solve the problem because I think we had the right idea for for how to solve it. And then it'll they'll come. Well, maybe they won't, but let's. But but we're going to believe that they'll come, and then and now they're starting to come. <laughs> you know, and then but 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 we've done a lot of hard work, you know, and we've yeah. tried to listen uh, to to the community, and we but we've also tried to have a point of view on how to solve this problem. You know, we're right. we're not we're not turning it into a kitchen sink, which is very easy to do in in the JavaScript space too, because there's there's a new technology or a new framework or a new methodology born every day, right? And so you sort of got to stick to your gun on certain areas or guns on certain areas, but but then but then still listen uh, to to the feedback. Um, I think also one one thing that that I think we did right was to self-host and dog food from day one. A lot of these transpilers, well now they are not, but in the beginning, you know, early on, like Gwit uh, and 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 Script Sharp were. They target JavaScript, but they're not written in JavaScript, and they don't actually live and breathe the JavaScript community. Do you know what I mean? And I, I felt that I felt that we had to do that. Um, and the, the other thing I, I would say that I, I think was was a guiding principle was that we're not just writing a compiler here, and then we're not really doing this. We're we're doing this because it ultimately enables us to build great tooling. And we're not just going to open source the compiler. We're going to open source the tooling because it's the it really the high order bit here is the tooling. It's the fact that you can get safe refactoring, code navigation, find all references, go to definition, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and then, and these are just like productivity must haves today in, on large projects, right? Um, and and they're all powered by. This knowledge that the compiler has, but but if you lock it up in a black box, you know that is just a command line tool, then you're not really solving the problem, right? Um, so you gotta you gotta like actually make your compiler into an API, and you gotta architect your compiler so that it can be super incremental and super lazy in in how it it, it does its work, so that it can deliver answers in sub 100 millisecond time even on a 200,000 line project, right? Which, you know, honestly, if you'd asked me five years or 10 years ago, I would have, I would have just said that is just <laughs> never going to be possible in JavaScript, but it turns out it is. <laughs> um, 
what's and so so that was sort of that was sort of a bet you know that we took there on Mm -hmm. on the on the technology and on our own ability to do it you know but but it's 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 worked out what's different um you know what didn't you expect five or ten years ago when you said that was not possible in JavaScript? Just the the browser wars or the hardware is increased or what is it? That makes I that think possible. the uh, the 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 order of magnitude um, improvements in the VMs. Uh-huh. I don't think I don't think we all saw that coming. It's quite a and and I'll give credit to the V8 team and 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 Lars uh, Bach and uh, the work they did in Aarhus is just amazing. You know, and, and and now we're all doing it. You know, but but they really sort of pioneered something there that was quite quite impressive. Yeah, it's kind of a shining example of that rising tide. You know, brings all the ships up because once that competition yep. got really kicked off, and all parties oh, yeah. got involved, it was been fun to watch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, from our side, and just it is amazing what you can do in JavaScript now that even three or four years ago was just yeah. impossible and possibly slow. Yeah. No, that it, yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> to this day, I am still, <laughs> I, I am still, you know, there are days where I go, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> well, let's pause there then. Let's let's dive into some amazing stuff. But before we do that, let's take a quick break and hear a word from one of our awesome sponsors. We'll be right back. You've heard me talk about TopTal several times on this podcast, and TopTal is by far the best place to work as a freelance software developer. Well, they have this term elite engineer, and that defines the kind of software developer that works at TopTal. I had a chance to sit down and talk to Brendan Benishot, the co-founder and COO of TopTal, and I asked him, Brendan, what is an elite engineer? Take a listen. An elite engineer for us is somebody who satisfies all the technical requirements um, that you would need in a, in a great developer if you're working at like uh, like a Google or Facebook. But then at TopTal, you have to add this extra layer on top of it to make sure that people are mature enough and professional enough to be totally self-directed. And so making sure that they take a tremendous amount of uh, pride in their work and that they're accountable and very, very communicative. Because in remote freelancing, that's sometimes just as important as being technically competent. All right. If Brendan got you excited about being an elite engineer at TopTal, head to toptal.com slash developers. That's T-O-P. TAL.com slash developers to learn more and tell them the cheese log sent you. All right. Uh, so we've been talking heavily. And as you got some deep subject you took there, I almost wanted to vein off on several different directions, but I think let's circle around language design of TypeScript. Uh, it's a super set of JavaScript. What, what else can you describe for TypeScript to, to sort of take us into the, the conversation around language design? I think, you know, I mean, so sort of the, 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 the things maybe that are interesting to observe about it is that traditionally type systems have sort of been an on or an off thing. You know, you either had your dynamic language, with, which had no type system, or at least not an observable type system, um, and everything was just dynamic. Or you would be programming in a proper statically type programming language, say like C Sharp or Java or C++ or C or, or whatever, and everything would be statically typed. So it was either you were either on or you were off on types. I think the thing that's interesting about TypeScript is that that it is it is an optionally typed or a gradually typed system. You know, you we've turned the switch into a dial. You can dial up the types. It's, the dial starts at zero, and that's just JavaScript. And you can literally rename all your JavaScript files to .ts and just run them through our compiler. 
and you'll get a bunch of errors, but our errors aren't really errors. They're all warnings, right? Because the output we produce is indeed exactly the same files that came in because there were no type annotations to remove, right? So in, in, so, so when the dial's at zero, we sort of function as a linter, if you will, that we do our best effort on inference. Um, but in the absence of any type annotations, you know, there's only so much we can infer. But based on those inferences, we'll give you some errors, right? But then as you dial it up and you add type annotations, then more and more stuff comes alive. And, and, and you, but you can sort of leave the dial wherever you want, right? You can use jQuery or whatever, a whole bunch of JavaScript frameworks just as JavaScript. And then you can on the side provide the type information or not provide the type information. And if you provide the type information in a declaration file, then the tool can do more things for you like statement completion and so forth. But it's perfectly happy for you to not do it. And then it's just dynamically typed. Um, and that's sort of been an interesting world to to navigate uh, because no one had really done that before, you know, in, in, in that I know of. It was all or nothing, right? Like you had to jump into yeah, a tool exactly. or not. Yeah, yep. And so so that was a super interesting design point. And uh, I think we learned a lot from it. I think the other thing that I, I would say that, that has been interesting from a language design perspective is that TypeScript's type system isn't about providing absolute waterproof guarantees that that these types are correct we're not provably correct <laughs> we're just correct enough because ultimately when when you start with a dynamic language where where something can be of type any then you have a swiss cheese right and it's it's just about plugging as many of the holes as is feasible it's not about plugging every hole right and traditionally, uh, Java and C Sharp and, and a lot of other languages have been about plugging every hole and providing strict guarantees. And that's, that's obviously useful, but it, it, but it lands you in a different place, right? And there's, but, but if you think about it, for JavaScript, there's no way that we could ever land there, right? Because that decision has already been made. The runtime system is dynamic. But it turns out that there's still a lot of goodness you can get from having types. Um, a whole lot of goodness, right, in the tooling, um, even if the types are not provably correct. Mm. Um, there's one other that I would probably add to that list that I, I like, which is the structural type. Yes, part of it. yes. So traditionally in, in OO systems, you're what's called nominally typed. You've got the class name and you're like, all right, I'm going to subclass this class name. And it's, it's every time you're checking the types, you're checking that these names are matching. But in JavaScript, everything is very loosey-goosey. I can make an object literal and I can pass it in or I can instantiate a, a class as an object and pass that in. And for us, everything, we just look at the inside of the type. It's the structures match. You know, if it, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, you know, kind of that kind of thing. And that makes it so easy to kind of extend existing systems and uh, grow systems in a really flexible way that doesn't require these deep inheritance hierarchies. Yeah. Um, it's really lightweight and it's really nice. To yeah, it's it's much truer to the underlying truth of, of, of JavaScript, which is which is very dynamic, right? Right. So first of all, I think making it a strict superset of JavaScript, as far as adoption is concerned, is is kind of a brilliant move because now I can dip my toe in the water, right? And I can mm -hmm. opt in when I want to, as opposed to a big rewrite or having to make a big decision up front to use TypeScript or plain old JavaScript. But when I opt into those type annotations, it sounds like the biggest wins are in tooling. 
which are valid, nice wins, of course. Do you also have performance wins, or is it because the runtime itself is still dynamic? Um, you can't do any compile time uh, performance yeah. because it's not provably correct. Well, I mean, it's 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 so so. You're right that you you you. I would say it's tooling, but it's of course also correctness, right? And and you know, right. sort of the notion that you can sleep better at night because some system actually like tried to validate your code here and told you about a bunch of problems that otherwise you would have found that as you ran the app. One of the nice things on the TypeScript team is we had the creator of the Chakra runtime engine, the JavaScript engine for Internet Explorer. So he was helping us early on the the code that the compiler generated. So the classes and, and whatnot, the, the corresponding code that they output, he was looking at that and saying, all right, for this to be optimized, we should do it slightly differently. Mm-hmm. And so his his input meant that if you're writing against the you know class syntax and whatnot in TypeScript, you're getting very performant JavaScript on, on the outside. The carry from that is that the V8 team took the TypeScript compiler and put it into their test suite. So it wasn't just IE. Now you have uh, Google Chrome getting all the performance benefits from those patterns. Hmm. Well, that's interesting for sure. Beyond type annotations, obviously that's your that's your flagstone feature there. Uh, you know, the name TypeScript. It's all about type annotations. Are there any other Big features that TypeScript adds to JavaScript um, that are that are nice to have. I, I think I, I would sum it up as, as we do two things. One is types and all of the great tooling and correctness proving that that comes from that. And the other mm-hmm. is delivering features from the future today. Basically, giving you the ability to run down level or compile to down level. Right. Um, I mean, we started out with 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 delivering a bunch of ES6 features, but allowing you to compile them down level to ES5 and ES3, uh-huh. uh, like like classes and arrow functions and so forth, right? And and now, of course, now ECMAScript itself is catching up, uh, and ES6 is almost ratified. It's going to happen in, in a month or two. And, and we are catching up also in that we now support pretty much the full ES6 language, but now we're also delivering features from the future again because we're we're starting to spike uh, implementations of decorators um, and async await and some of the other features that are being considered for ECMAScript seven, and it's really sort of a repeat n plus one here of the same of the same phenomenon, right? Because the truth is that that even as even when ECMA, a version of ECMAScript gets ratified, it takes years for that to actually permeate throughout the JavaScript ecosystem. In some places, it permeates quickly, like on the server where you can can arrange your own execution environment just by installing a new version of Node or or whatever, right? Then you can pretty rapidly adopt. But in the browser, I mean, you don't really have control of that. And it takes three, four years before you can... I mean, even today, you can't necessarily say that you require ECMAScript 5, right? I mean, and we mm-hmm. certainly, I mean, it's getting truer and truer, right? But but look at when did ECMAScript 5 come out, right? I mean, we're, we're talking about, what is it, what is it in 2009, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. I, I think. That, that <laughs> so, Ember just had their vote for IE support like a week or two ago to whether they should remove early versions of IE. So that is, that's still a conversation that the long-term support guys are still having. 
So, so the reality probably is that it's going to be somewhere between three and five years before you can assume ECMAScript 6. And that means until then, you're going to need a transpiler or a, a, a down leveler, right? And TypeScript delivers both in one. And that's a, that's a pretty compelling combination. I mean, both that and the types, right? Um, How do you guys decide on which features are going to go in these early features? So let's talk, you know, ES7, which, you know, they're just now figuring some things out. Some are probably going to go in, some aren't. You know, I'm just looking at a compatibility table. There's some features I've never even heard of. Reflect.realm, apparently that's a proposed feature for ES7. How do you decide... When stuff goes in, because you get in a situation where you, all of a sudden you add, let's say you add support for reflect.realm, and don't ask me what that means. But let's say <laughs> you guys add that to TypeScript, and then none of the, you know, it doesn't get ratified, or none of the yeah. browsers actually right. are ever going to support it. Do you guys pull it? Do you just wait until you're sure something's going to go in? How do you deal with that? Yeah. So, so first of all, I think reflect.realm is is actually probably a, a runtime library feature. So, so okay. that one isn't isn't that hard. And the runtime library features. Generally speaking, you can just polyfill, and it's 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 a pretty established uh, sort of scheme for how you how you deal with that. Um, okay. Other features like modules, for example, modules were late to land in ES6. You could argue that they haven't fully landed yet either, because the standard doesn't actually include a spec for a module loader, okay. and and which ultimately means you know you're going to be dependent on someone externally to provide that loader and then. Now, now with, with those, well, sometimes we have to guess, right? I mean, in, in TypeScript, when we, we realized early on that, hey, <laughs> we're going to need some sort of module system. One of the biggest problems of JavaScript is the lack of modular compilation. One of the things that was powering Node.js was, you know, the common JS modules and, and require JS in the browser and AMD modules and was sort of becoming the norm for large-scale JavaScript application development, which is where we wanted to go. So we had to have modules. So we had to sort of do a best-guess best effort of where modules mm-hmm. were going to go and try to, make, try to make our syntactic footprint as small as possible and then just go with it and then let it ride out. And that's what we did. And, and it turns out we, we, we shot pretty close to the target, um, mm-hmm. but it's not just, but it didn't land uh, because... Those that the current uh, proposal didn't even exist at the time. Um, so now we've aligned, and it turns out that we can support both. And we can just, you know, I mean, we're not going to take stuff away. Yeah. I mean, I've always, I've always been a big believer in backwards compatibility. If you look at all, all of my work and all the languages I've worked on, they've pretty much always been backwards compatible. Because if you, <laughs> if you give up backwards compatibility, you also give up your community. And now the community can go shop around, and maybe they'll come with you, and maybe they won't. You know, but listen, you gotta be, you you gotta yeah. bring them along. And honestly, it's the responsible thing to do. To people have a huge investment in their in their yep. code, and so so we're gonna continue support what we what we previously supported. But then we're also supporting ECMAScript six modules, and we expect people to migrate to that uh, fully, you know, over time. But uh, so so it's it's doable. You end up with a little bit of baggage, and you can you can park it under a compiler switch or something, you know. And it's 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 fun. It's it's it was the right thing to do, I think. But we are definitely committed to tracking the standards. I, I should say mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, and, and and you can certainly see that in our work too. Even when you disagree with them. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. 
Hey, some of the things in the module system uh, today I may not necessarily agree with, but yeah. but there it is, and that that's water under the bridge, right? right. I mean, we we participate in the standardization effort too, so so you know, and that, but it's but yeah. So, is there a canonical place to go for people to find these are the features that TypeScript adds that you know may or may not be available in ES6 or in the browsers today? Do you guys have a place? Oh, like on top of on top of the type system and on top of the JavaScript standard stuff, that the additional features. Yeah, or even uh, you know features that have not quite been standardized yet or are in the process that you know you could perhaps use this in Chrome today, well, but you can use it in TypeScript and it'll you know it'll handle everything. Well, I I mean all of the type system <laughs> is of course a feature that that we add right sure, and. Sure. All of the notation for how you write down interface types and union types and tuple types and blah, 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 and how does type inference work and how do generics work and all of that stuff is, is of course, on top and, and something that we spec in our, in our language specification. Um, if you're curious about like ES7 features, there's the, on the GitHub site, there's the roadmap. Right. And we kind of roughly sketch out. I mean, even okay. we don't know exactly where, which feature is going when, but we've got a, a rough idea for you know this version and the next version. So we we kind of put that on the, the roadmap. Yeah, the road, there's a link oh, to our roadmap that, on yeah. the there, there's a link to our roadmap on the on the on the TypeScript uh, front page on GitHub. So oh, yeah. cool, perfect. That's helpful. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the compiler and the implementation. Of the compiler. One thing you said earlier, Anders, which was kind of piqued my interest, is about the compiler's API yeah. and how important that was. Tell us about that, and then also tell us like how it's implemented. Is it is it in TypeScript? I think you said it is, but just because give, give us some of the details of the compiler. Okay, it is in TypeScript. Yes, I mean, like I said, we 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 believe in dark booting, and 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 we've actually we've had several versions of the compiler, but they were all written in TypeScript. Uh, that the one that's that's there now and that's on on GitHub and the one that we're that we're currently shipping um, is uh, it's about I'm gonna say probably thirty two thousand lines or thereabouts for the core compiler itself and then another fifteen to twenty thousand lines for the language server so about about fifty thousand lines uh, all all up. Um, um, before Anders has a chance to be a little humble, he wrote most of. The new version of the compiler. So he was just kind of brainstorming ways that we could be faster and lighter weight. And uh, in his free time, was coming up with these ideas. I was like, guys, I, I think we should go this direction. And we're like, no, we don't need to rewrite it. We just we just released 1.0. Yeah. And he's like, no, no, I, I think that's the way we should go. And sure enough, as as it started coming together, it was like five times faster than the original 1.0 compiler. So he deserves a lot of credit for that. And it was like pretty much rewritten already by the time he had brought in, brought in you guys the uh, the results. Like, was there a big effort after that, or it was pretty much done? Well, I mean, I yeah, I I started. It's it's actually kind of interesting because there, there are a, a couple of things. First of all, that I I would say about how the compiler is currently implemented. One one actually sort of a general observation about compiler writing these days, which is. There's sort of the way that the universities will teach you how to write compilers, and then there's the way that that you have to write a compiler today for it to be relevant. And they're they're actually a little bit divergent right right now because 
universities tend to still teach you the classic way of writing a compiler with, you know, you have a scanner and a parser and you probably use some LALR generator, you know, to generate your parser and then you have your code generator and da 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 And it's, then there's this thing called speed and performance that you, you don't get to. <laughs> mm. um, but, but even more importantly, there's this thing called incrementalness that is an absolute must for a compiler that you can build into an IDE. In an IDE, when you're sitting there typing code, let's say you're in a 15,000 line JavaScript file that's part of a 50,000 line project, which so happens to be how, say, our compiler works, right? And I type foo dot. I want to see immediately. What could I type here? Uh-huh. And and I'm not, if it takes more than 100 milliseconds, I'm going to get annoyed. Now, delivering meaningful, semantically correct answers in 100 milliseconds is simply impossible with the way schools teach you how to write compilers. You got to go about it completely differently. You got to be much more incremental in your data structures. You got to think about different problems. Um, your type system has to be implemented in a very, very lazy manner that produces just the right amount of information on demand, uh, as opposed to binding everything up front and then knowing the answer to everything, even though I actually only need the answer to this over here right now. So that that's that's interesting. And there's a lot of learnings there that I that I think uh, are, are are interesting. Um, mm. with, with, with an editor, too. Um, and this is kind of obvious once I say it, but as you're typing, most of your program is, isn't correct while you're typing. Right. right? So your, your language service has to be resilient to the fact that thing, you're having errors left and right because everything's in transition. And then you stop mm-hmm. because you've, you've hit a stopping point. Right. And literally, a single character typed at the right place in your editor can profoundly and completely change the meaning of your program. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, most characters don't, <laughs> but sometimes they do, you know, like you start a comment here and the rest of your file becomes a comment or this identifier becomes another name. And now all of a sudden it doesn't shadow another identifier and 10,000 references bind to a different symbol. Do, do you know what I mean? Or yeah. there's like all these subtle things. And, and it turns out that doing that incrementally, it's a challenging problem. And, and you can very quickly go astray in, oh, well, I'm going to keep all these tables that backlink to this, and then I'm going to try to incrementally update them. And then before you know it, you're generating so much information that, that is so subtle in the way that it interacts, you know, that you, you die a, a quick death, right? And, and you really have to be pretty, you, you, have to, you have to think about this problem hard, you know, to get it to be fast, uh, especially in JavaScript, right? <laughs> um, yeah. I never really but, thought about but, it like that. That's that sounds like a really hard problem. <laughs> no, I've never had to solve well, it's that a problem, problem before. It's a, it's yeah. a fun problem, I, and 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 uh, and I think we we we. I mean, I'm I'm not going to say that we've solved all of it, but we're we're we we do, we're doing pretty well yeah. in in our compiler right now. Um, one of the one of the things that Andrews was talking about before, in addition to the compiler, we have this language service that's open source and and people can play it. And we put out we put that out a couple of years ago, and and people started doing things like adding support to Eclipse. Um, more recently, there's been um, a plugin for Atom. The TypeScript team has written one for Sublime. And it's it's kind of neat that this thing is kind of proving itself out in a way, right? We're, we're sticking it in all these text editors and IDEs and, and getting a nice, rich experience. Out of yeah. It. 
but so some some of the stuff we do in the compiler is is um, we've actually learned a lot um, over the years from from say functional programming. If if you look at how our compiler is is, is built internally, it it very much relies on immutable data structures and incremental updating of immutable data structures. We also strangely in the compiler itself, we we generally don't use classes. Uh, the compiler is just written as a whole bunch of nested functions and interface declarations. So in that sense, it, it sort of uses the, the other way of coding in JavaScript, you know, where you, you write functions and then functions return objects that contain function pointers <laughs> and you make closure over, over local state and, and, and so forth. So our entire type checker is a single function. And that function just returns out a callback interface that you can ask questions on, and then it'll lazily go about its work. But but it's an, one single function closure. And if you want to have three type checkers, that's fine. You call the function three times. Now you have three separate type checkers that are maintaining their own separate state internally. And mm. um, so it's uh, yeah. So so it's 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 interesting in in. Uh, in that sense, but but I will say too that that is you know like like when we talk about JavaScript, the good parts that is one of the very good parts about JavaScript is that that Brendan got uh, he got it right when it came to uh, uh, functions and 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 uh, and closures and sort of the functional aspects of the language. Then there are other things that are that are not so great, but that is a super great thing. And it really does work very, very well. And now with with the VMs that that, that have gotten good at optimizing that as well. It is it is a remarkably productive way to code. Uh, I, I I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I'm sitting here listening to to your knowledge here, and I'm, I'm going to get a little bit upstream and perhaps a little bit meta because I'm thinking about uh, our universities and the things that we're taught how to write a compiler in university, mm -hmm. right? And how there are very few people who have the skill set and experience to you know, retool a compiler in their free time and have a 5x speed improvement. Um, and no doubt, Anders, that was like based on years of your experience of writing compilers. How do we institutionalize some of this knowledge that, that few people have? How can we pass it down to the next group of people who um, need to be writing compilers 10 years from now, 15 years from now? Um, have you put thought into that? Is it just too hard of a problem? Or no, is, there, I, I is there something else we can be doing? Well, I think that the, the the best thing that we possibly could do is open source, right? I mean, and that's what we're doing. Yeah, good point. Source code for this compiler, you hey, you can have it right now. Just go clone the Git repository, and there it is. And it's not very. I mean, it's it's fifty thousand lines. That's not. I mean, it's it's a lot of lines, but it's not that many lines. I yeah. mean, you, you you can you can find your way around in it. Yeah. You, you can see how it's done. Exactly. Yeah, right? I, I was I was just going to say the same thing. I, reading code. And talking through code with people that are knowledgeable, mm -hmm. you can't you can't get away from that. And and because it's open source and you have these communities, maybe we supplement the the formal education with go work on this open source project and contribute to it. Yeah, I think that's a very meaningful way to do it. Yeah, because that will force you to actually understand how it works such that you can contribute, right? Um, well not only the, the not only the technical side of that too, but also the community side of that. Like you said earlier, it's a culture. You know, you said there's open source, and there's the real open source way. You know, yeah. I think part of institutionalizing that, Jared, is as they're talking about in contributing to open source is not only getting the code right, but also interacting with the community of what the community needs from mm -hmm. the from what you're producing. Yep. yep. Yeah. 
Well said. Well said. Well, let's pause here uh, for a sponsor break. We get back. We're going to get back to adoption and why we've had you know all of these large projects adopted, and then we'll talk about in the small, like how could I adopt it? You know, what are the, what are the steps I got to take? So we'll pause here, and we'll be right back. Good news. Our friends at DigitalOcean are opening up a brand new European region in Frankfurt, Germany, the first in Germany. FRA1 is now open. The new region features their latest cloud spec and the full range of DigitalOcean features, including metadata, CoreOS, and IP version 6. Something else that's cool is due to its placement on the German commercial internet exchange, which is the largest internet exchange point worldwide by peak performance. This region will serve Germany and its neighboring countries with unparalleled connectivity and speed. The story of the German startup community is tremendous, and DigitalOcean is hoping by launching this new region, they can play a part in supporting the innovation and awesomeness that's happening in Germany. So definitely check out FRA1. For those subscribing to DigitalOcean for the first time, use our promo code CHANGELOGAPRIL or CHANGELOGMAY to get a $10 hosting credit when you sign up. Head to DigitalOcean.com to get started. And now back to the show. All right, we are back talking TypeScript. There has been a few large projects that have announced that they will be TypeScript in their next major releases. The biggest one being Angular, which will be Angular 2, will be written in TypeScript. And then also Dojo 2 uh, will be written in TypeScript. If you guys had to guess or if you had some insight into why now, and maybe even some insights into if you were involved at all in the Angular decision or if that was completely on their end. Um, interested to hear how it's taken a few years, but maybe what's led to the increase in adoption lately. I can take a, I'll try to take a stab at that one. All right, okay. so I think one of, the, one of the things that we've seen in the last six months, um, now that ES6 is becoming close to ratified, is this excitement in the community around ES6. Like it's at the point now where it's deafening, but six months ago, like the the movers and shakers were looking at um, these projects that could be done with ESX. You've got modules, you've got classes, you've got a new way of writing JavaScript that just wasn't possible before. So as a library author, when you're thinking, what what is my API going to be like, you know, six months from now or two years from now? What is the new set of libraries that are going to be built look like? And I, I think as a library author, you want always to be at that edge when you're showing that, yes, we've got all this stuff. There's no reason to go on to some, something new. We can do it here. So I, I would say that that's probably what started kicking off people thinking about what does the API look like now that um, ES6 is getting a lot of traction. There's a lot of interest in making sure that the APIs fit really well with that. Uh, as far as TypeScript, I mean, TypeScript has been there kind of building up, like we've been saying since 2012, we've been slowly building momentum um, and beating on this drum of like ES6 is great and you can get that plus some some good tooling. Last year when uh, the, the Angular team announced AdScript uh, at the NG Europe conference, um, they were talking about, yes, Having ES6 is great, and then having types is great. And then they also wanted this separation of concerns idea called annotations. And after they announced that, we kind of reached out to them and said, well, that sounds great. <laughs> Let's talk about that. <laughs> so me and Anders and some of the engineers flew down and talked to them and said, you know, what can we do? Like, can we just take our ideas 
and kind of merge the philosophies and come up with a TypeScript that's even stronger and, and capable of working with these really rich libraries. So we've been working with the, the Angular team for about six months now. Yeah, and it, it was it was great, actually. I mean, getting in a room together, you, you very quickly discover you're all just engineers and <laughs> you really all think about the problem the same way and then and, and you have the same values, you know. And, yeah. and, and, and for them, types is very relevant, you know, and then and, 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 and ES6 for sure. And then, you know, we, we sort of had both. And there were some things we didn't have, like annotations. And so we worked with them on that and uh, and pulled in some some other folks from the JavaScript community and came up uh, or, or hitched on to the, the decorators um, uh, proposal for ES7. Um, yeah, we and, worked with Yehuda uh, Katz, who does right. Ember, and Rob Eisenberg um, that did the Randall and is working on a new project called Aurelia and tried to get everyone thinking along, okay, what does this separation of concerns feature look like? You know, some people are coming up from a metadata point of view, like annotations, some like Python point of view for decorators. Now, can we make a single thing? Uh, so that's been that's been an interesting challenge. It's nice to see everybody coming together. One of the things that I was really bullish on a few years ago was the WebKit project, and just seeing you know people, I guess the political term, stepping across the aisle. Uh, you know, Microsoft and Google here working together on TypeScript w- with Angular. Um, Seems like a lot of good can come out of that. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm certainly hoping. I mean, so far, I think a lot already has come out of it. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's been a great. It's, it's good. It's good. It's a great team. They're fun to work with. Yeah, and, super uh, fun yeah. to work with, and it's been a lot of learning experience because we've been coming up from two different angles and can sit in a room and talk the same language. It's, it's cool. I like the the point you made there, Andrews, about just the fact that uh, you're all engineers, you know, you're all people in the end. And even going back to your comment earlier about the commitment to open source and doing it the right way that way. I mean, when you take your flags down and you're talking about just open source and in general to the world, you kind of have to be like Jared said, stepping across the aisle. You can't let your, your badge sort of stop you from committing towards the future of what's good for the source code. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of something that Yehuda said uh, last episode, 151. In fact, you mentioned Yehuda Katz. We had him on last show. He was talking about Rust with Steve Klabnik. And uh, I had mentioned that Rust is a Mozilla research project. And it is. Um, and he made the point of, of saying it is a Mozilla research project, but Mozilla embraces the open source model and they've done a really good job of making it a community effort. Yeah. And it's not all about Mozilla. It's about... Yeah an open source project that will forward the goals of Mozilla as well as the goals of perhaps their competitors, um, but the entire ecosystem, and we have to come together around those these projects and you know everybody benefits from it. There's also there's benefits from competition as well, so <laughs> it kind of goes both ways. Um, it's nice yeah. when people come together. It's also nice when they compete heavily. Um, yeah. Kind of we can kind of win in both in both scenarios. Yeah. So let's talk about getting started from a from a layman's perspective of not not with the Angular team or the Dojo team, but let's just say I'm just writing my own JavaScript. I'm an application developer. Maybe let's take it from the uh, from in the Microsoft camp as far as tooling goes, and then maybe in like the the Node camp as far as tooling goes. How do I get started with TypeScript? So if you're a Microsoft developer, probably the easiest way is just to install Visual Studio. Um, so starting with Visual Studio 2013 update two. Uh, TypeScript has been in the box. So you 
start up an application and you can immediately uh, start up a, a TypeScript application uh, nice. template and go from there. If you're coming at it from an open source uh, point of view, you can npm install TypeScript and use the TypeScript compiler uh, straight from npm. Of course, it's it's all JavaScript, right? So all the all this TypeScript is compiled away, and we've got JavaScript. So you could, if you wanted, you could just clone the repo and run the TypeScript compiler straight from the clone repo, and you'll have the most bleeding, uh, up to date uh, TypeScript. I, I I will say too that 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 one of the things be, because because we focused really hard on making the language service uh, language services open source. We now have uh, a number of really high quality plugins for all of the popular editors out there. So if you're using, um, uh, say, Sublime Text or Atom.io, then there are excellent plugins for those editors. There are plugins for Eclipse. Uh, there's JetBrains has very good support in WebStorm for TypeScript, and they're actually keeping up with uh, all the evolution in the language. Um, uh, and uh, they offer a, a number of great refactoring tools in there as well. So, so by and large, I mean there's there's remarkably good coverage for TypeScript across the board in in development tools and IDEs. Yeah, and like build tools like Grunt and Gold. Right. As, of course. As you as you dig into, you know, whatever your favorite flavor is, you can find a growing number of TypeScript plugins for these various. Systems. I, I we should mention too. You know, one of the probably one of the biggest treasure troves uh, of, of information for TypeScript is a uh, is a GitHub repository uh, repository called Definitely Typed. Um, I don't know you guys have looked at it, but I saw that. It, this is something that happened entirely organically uh, in the OSS community, and it it, it it it's it's so warmed my heart to see it happening too. Is is you know, people very quickly after we after we uh, um, uh, shipped the first version of TypeScript realized that, wow, uh, I can actually go write these declaration files for existing JavaScript frameworks and then get a much better experience when I'm using the framework in TypeScript. Mm. And we provided we provided some some rudimentary declaration files for jQuery and Node and and a few I think Backbone we had a little bit and. You know, but it was it wasn't a lot. And then, of course, we've written down all the type definitions for the JavaScript runtime library and uh, and the HTML DOM. But that was really all we had in the beginning. And now we have this repository that is that that is, I think, now close to a, a thousand frameworks. I kid you not, one thousand different frameworks have pretty good coverage, and some of them have very very high quality definition files up there. And there are provisioning tools now like TSD that allows you to just say, hey, today I'm going to use jQuery with Ember and this one or that one. And just like NPM, it'll provision your project with all the correct declaration files. And lo and behold, you get super high quality statement completion as you're authoring your code, you know, just magically. Right. And it's it's fantastic. And that's entirely a community effort. Uh, and and I, I just think that is like that truly speaks to the power of open source. There's no way that a single entity could have done that. That is something that only a community can do. Yeah, having written the jQuery one, that took me weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's spectacular. We'll definitely link that up in the show notes. Yeah, uh, and you said it. You said it well there, Anders. That like this is the kind of stuff that happens in the open source community that you just couldn't have predicted it. You didn't have to ask for it. Somebody wanted it. It was a good idea. 
and everybody just starts pitching in into their little wheelhouse. You know, if you're into uh, Sammy JS or you're into Encrypt mm-hmm. or like whatever you happen to be into in such a huge JavaScript community, um, you just you just play your part, and then you have this great community resource. Spectacular. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what about learning? So that's how you get technically started. But what if I don't have any idea what type annotations are or I, I, I want to learn how to write them? Where do I go for that? So there's a, there's a couple of resources on the website that you can use to get started. Um, we've got some samples. So if, you, if just staring at code is the easiest way for you to learn, um, you can go and there's a sample section on the website and you look through that and there's each of them are, are fairly small um, uh, examples of using Node or using jQuery. Uh, just enough to kind of get you started. Uh, there's also a handbook. Uh, the handbook tries in plain English, as best as I've been able to write plain English, uh, to to walk you through the various features and the 1.0 uh, the 1.0 language. And we'll we'll be kind of revising that um, here shortly to kind of pull it up to date with the, the later versions of the language. But if you read through that, you sh- there's tons of examples, uh, tons of plain text to kind of understand. Um, and, you know, maybe to, to call out the spec, if you are the kind of person that really likes to dig into the details, there's the TypeScript spec, and you can read that and, and really understand it in, in a deep, deep level. Yeah, speaking of the spec, I noticed that it was in a PDF. Is that spec ever going to be open source on GitHub, or is it already open source and this is compiled from a, a repo or something? It's 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 well it's available in three different ways as a as a doc file as a PDF file and in Markdown. Mm. Nice. So it it's it's on there. If you you just go to the front page on our GitHub site and then link there's a link to the language specification and that's a Markdown a single Markdown file. So oh, okay, gotcha. I'll leave that up then. Yeah. So next up, let's talk about the future a little bit. Um, you have a roadmap uh, on the website that you you told us about. Uh, maybe you could kind of just verbalize the roadmap a little bit and tell us um, where TypeScript's at as far as I think we are at a 1.4 release and 1.5 is in alpha or beta, and then kind of what you guys see it going to next. Sure. So the, the 1.5 release is going to close a lot of the gaps that we had in ES6 compatibility. I think after 1.5, there's only a couple of features left, class expressions, um, uh, generators, that we'll need to add to to kind of finish up the ES6 compatibility. So that's that's kind of a, a nice milestone for us to actually be able to say, yes, we are a superset of JavaScript, and that superset is a superset of ES6. Um, we're looking at ES7 features. Anders mentioned async away earlier. Uh, that's going to be fun for kind of the promise programming uh, style to be able to have nice, clean uh, async await code. We've been talking more recently about things like JSX and exploring JSX support. Um, so there's a pull request now. If, if people want to kind of hop on and help out and, and give us their feedback, we would love that. So, um, so definitely, definitely do that. And decorators is a, is another one. Yeah. So, so, um, but basically, we're like one four is 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 the version that's out there now. One five is is imminent. You know, within a month or or two, um, we plan to ship that. One six will be the one that that rounds out a few more of the missing features, and then finally two zero will will be done with with ES six and and the ES seven things that that we so far have have on our roadmap. But then I'm sure by then we'll we'll have dreamt up some more work, you know. Yeah, but so <laughs> um, 
it, it just it just keeps on coming. It, it, it seems I, I know that we're talking now about doing something around uh, module bundling also to make it easier to consume ES6 modules in a browser environment, which today requires you to use an external module loader. And, you know, so, so there's like there's there's a ton of stuff we can do. Uh, and we can, of course, always do more IDE features. And, and, and so so. There's a, no shortage. Yeah, exactly. I mean, one of the things with with the, the JavaScript committee um, is that they're now on a one-year cadence. So every year, they're going to revise uh, ECMAScript. So ES7 is next, and ES8 is the following year. I mean, we're going to be busy just keeping up and being a superset uh, with a nice, rich type system and tooling that, that builds on top of that. So is it, is it fair to say the type system is pretty much done and now it's just going to be in maintenance mode and now it's just keeping up? Or is there additional things that you can do to make the type system better over time as well? Oh, no, there are definitely things we can do to make the type system better. You can always make oh, type absolutely. systems better. Um, I mean, we were talking with uh, the flow guys about union types and they're like, great, if you have an if, an if statement, and then you check what the type is in that if statement, you know in the body of the if what the type is. Mm. And as we were brainstorming with them, we're like, well, that's, that's a no-brainer. Let's throw that in there, too. Um, so as people do explorations, I think the, the type system is just as organic as the JavaScript language. It's going to grow and, and kind of incorporate patterns and whatnot uh, awesome. that we can. Yeah. Yeah, we're sort of always on the lookout for, you know, why did I have to put a typecast here? Why did I have to have this annotation? Or, you know, could, is there a way we could get rid of that? Or, you know, so so is there a way you could capture this this pattern or this idiom, you know, in the type system, so so we could better, you know, sort of understand it without you having to annotate anything. Um, so that that and that's going to be ongoing. Plus, you know, whenever a new feature is introduced in the language, we have to sort of work out the type theory behind that feature, right? And and get that integrated into TypeScript. So so there's always that angle to it as well. We got uh, 1.5. It's in alpha. You just announced that about 20 days ago. You got your roadmap, which is I love your roadmap too. By the way, it's great that it, how it's linking out to issues that have commentary from you all and the community, sort of feeding back into this. I think it's a really great way to lend out a a roadmap, not just uh, straight up text. But when we're talking about the roadmap and future versions of TypeScript, what are we? Let's have some fun and hypothesize. Uh, each of you towards what the future of TypeScript might might be. Where would we be at in a year? What would we be talking about for TypeScript? Well, I mean, I, 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 I'll, I'll be a little bit pedestrian. I, I still think we're going to be talking a lot about ES6 and we're going to be talking a lot about modules because ES6 isn't quite done when it comes to, to, to modules. You know, they've spec the language syntax, but they haven't actually spec'd the underlying runtime loader semantics um, and then so so there's still a whole bunch of gyrating going on in the community around that right now. Uh, I think some of the new ES7 features we're going to be looking at, we're going to be looking at different uh, development tools to integrate with, uh, maybe deeper integration with build systems and, and sort of this whole, the whole cycle of I edit something and now I click on my browser, I want to see the result over there and, and shortening that as much as possible, right? And making the compilation step as automatic and as, and as, and as ephemeral as possible, right? 
is is something that we're gonna that we're gonna keep iterating on um, for sure. Um, Are there any particular uh, adoptions of TypeScript that you're looking forward to? Like, uh, is there anyone out there that is a perfect candidate for it? That if they were listening to the show right now, you know, they would you would put them on your radar essentially to say y'all should adopt TypeScript. Well, I think you know anyone who has more than say ten or twenty thousand lines of JavaScript in their app really owe it to themselves to take a look at at this because it really is a time saver. I I I, I will say you know like like just you know the project that we work on daily, which is the TypeScript compiler itself. But it but in a sense, it's just a large JavaScript app, right? It's a fifty thousand line JavaScript app. I shudder to think what it would be like to write that without types. I, I don't, I can't even, I mean, I can't even imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because we refactor that so much, right? And that's what gives us our agility and the ability to keep up with all of these features and, and these new things that are happening. It's like that you can trust the system. You can go, okay, well, I'm going to, now I'm going to refactor this class or this interface or this function into these two things and I'm going to rename these properties and boom, 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 done. And now I uh, now I get all this time back that I can use to creatively think about the problem instead of doing the manual labor <laughs> that it otherwise turns into. Right. Yeah. And, and to me, that is just like that's just bread and butter. I mean, you just got to do that if you want to stay competitive, you know. So, yeah. We have a few closing questions I share with you all via email that uh, we got several, but we're only going to do two today. Um, and the first, uh, we could take turns. Andrew, we could start with you. But who is your programming hero? <laughs> yeah, Jonathan and I were actually we were talking about that at lunch. I, I think, you know, if I have to think back on my career and who had the sort of biggest impact and then and, and launched me into this whole thing, it's probably uh, the inventor of Pascal, uh, Niklaus Wirth. Um, Who's uh, I, I I was fondly recounting it. Ben Jonathan knows the book too. His his book called uh, Algorithms Plus Plus Data Structures Equals Programs. Um, one of my favorite computing books. I, I remember reading it cover to cover and understanding every word in there. It just made so much sense. It is so simple. That's how I learned about hash tables, which I I didn't know about when I first wrote the first version of Turbo Pascal. <laughs> And then I read about these things called hash tables. I'm wow, that what really? And then I went and implemented, and now the compiler went twice as fast. And I'm like, awesome, <laughs> you know. So it's it's that to me that was that was just that was good stuff, you know. And and his his career has been amazing. He's had a huge impact on uh, our computer science uh, and on on my career. Yeah. Wow. What about you, Jonathan? Uh, see, he took my answer. Okay. <laughs> Did I really? Yeah. Oh, I'm you know? sorry. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> when we were talking at lunch, uh, I was like, you know, Klaus Viert is like one of the guys that really stuck to his guns and said, look, simplicity is important. Programmer productivity is important. Don't complicate it. Put them as close to solving their problem as they can and, and let them rip. And that's why Pascal is so easy to implement as a, as a language. So writing a compiler for it is really easy, but learning it is really easy. Um, and his thoughts, like he never, he never left that as he made each one like Modula and Oberon. He was still always all about trying to find the simplest way to solve the problems. And I, I you know, whether or not his particular aesthetic is something that, that really fits you know, you like, I just, I just have to respect his philosophy and kind of what he brought. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, something else, someone else that I, I like because he's entertaining is Simon Peyton Jones. So the, <laughs> one of the inventors of Pascal uh, is uh, really fun to listen to, really fun to kind of get excited about what is possible in programming languages. Um, I always, I always kind of fall back to him sometimes. Mm-hmm. All right, we got uh, our last question. Bringing it back to TypeScript here, I guess is uh, you can either answer it together or individually, whatever makes sense. But it's pretty simple. But um, I guess we may have answered it to a degree. But how can the community listening in? So, and as you answered, anybody who's got twenty thousand lines of JavaScript needs to look at TypeScript. Um, but in other ways, how can the community step in and either take part, do something with it, or help out with? TypeScript, how can the community begin to support and show support back to you all and move the, the mission forward? Well, I, you know, I invite anyone who cares to, to uh, come join us on, on GitHub and put up pull requests or, and, 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 and speak up on issues, you know, or post new issues, you know, or, or new requests for, for features. That's a great way. We are all up there. We, we live and breathe our, our, our daily programming lives on on github uh so so we're very easy to to reach that way um and and there's all these community stuff like andrew's just talking about definitely typed get on there if yeah. there's a library that you love mm-hmm. that you don't see yeah or you know there's there's like little errors that you can fix i mean it's gonna be trivial to fix the dts file you just go in and say oh no the type is actually this not this um and you're you're gonna help yourself and others um all the the editors and and whatnot just using these tools and, and sending feedback um, and, and making even better tools, I think. Anything in the roadmap that somebody can take part in? I know the 1.5 is an alpha now, but you got things like uh, expose a new editor interface to TS server. Is that something that is better served by the core team or better served by those that can be, are you looking for adoption, support, growth? Where, where can people, I guess, is that a good place to look at? I think both. I mean, I, I think it is whatever whatever strikes your fancy. If 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 you have an editor that you're implementing and you have a plugin model or for it, or you have a favorite editor and and you know how to write plugins for that editor, maybe write a TypeScript plugin and try to use our new TS server infrastructure for that, which is what we used for the Sublime uh, plugin, yeah. uh, for example. Or if you're interested in compilers or IDEs or whatever, you know, come to the other side and, and help help us out, you know, with 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 your favorite feature or you know. If you're interested in programming language design, I mean, one of the things that we've done in the last year or so when we moved to GitHub was we put all this programming language design we were kind of doing behind closed doors. We're like, enough! All of it goes on GitHub. So all the languages are all of the language design is now done on issues in GitHub. And you can jump in and, and kind of give your two cents on if, if this feature, you know, fits with uh, the, the kind of problem space or if there's little gotchas and you, you realize what the gotchas are and you can let us know. It's all kind of out there for people to comment. I noticed when I was looking at one of your, um, actually the TS server one that you mentioned, the, the issue out there, you have a label of CLI or CLA not required. Is there a CLA required <laughs> at some point? Uh, yeah, so there's... Uh, when you contribute code to the TypeScript code base, uh, you sign a contributor license agreement, um, and there's a there's a little robot behind the scenes that it's checking all the all the pull requests coming in. We're trying to make it a little less noisy than it being on every single pull request. Uh, something else we talked about too, I believe it was with Go when I was talking to 
Andrew Durand, he was talking about how they, um, let me go back to my notes on that one. They're using a particular external feature. It's called Garrett, G-E-R-R-I-T-T, I believe, or I-T. Um, and it's an external code review system that kind of builds into um, a, a CLA thing because they have a special CLA for contributors. So, huh. yeah, huh. probably have similar problems. You look at that, uh, listen to that show or talk to Andrew. He'll probably help you out. Okay. Well, that's it for the closing questions. Um, I I think, you know, we zoom back out. TypeScript seems really neat because it's something you can begin using today without having to really fully adopt it and sort of inch your way in as you get more and more courageous into the TypeScript world. So pretty exciting to to have this conversation with you guys. Is there anything else that you want to mention before we tail out and close the show? Um, no, can't think of anything. I think we, we covered a bunch of stuff here. I, 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 I really appreciate the uh, opportunity to be on the show here. I think this was, uh, Are you guys on Twitter, where can people follow you at? Oh yeah, no, we're, we're, uh, we're both on, on Twitter. Yeah. What's yeah. Your handle? My handle is a Heilsberg, a H E J L S B E R G. And mine is at J N T R N R. And there's also the TypeScript, uh, project has its own at TypeScript Lang. So feel free to follow those or ask us questions through Twitter. Good deal. Um, and one thing, actually, <laughs> now that I have time to kind of ask your audience, if there are people in the audience that are big TypeScript fans or big TypeScript users, um, recently we just started putting little logos on the TypeScript website to kind of show off all the people that are TypeScript fans. The batch collection. Yeah. So we're trying to kind of show off, you know, here's, here's, the, here's our showcase. So if your project or if your company are big TypeScript users, um, let us you know let us put your logo up there and kind of show off that uh, you're doing all this TypeScript. Awesome. That's the friends of TypeScript, if I'm correct. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Awesome. Well, definitely uh, fun having you guys on the show today. Um, I know we had several conversations earlier to get this show on there, and I'm glad it finally worked out to get timing there. We had spring break, and we had several things, so finally got you guys on the call today um in the future for listeners of the change while we have a show planned to talk about 17 years of curl with uh daniel stenberg and we're also going to have that conversation on roots and bedrock i was sick this week you're listening to this in the future and i'm talking about it in the past but long story short i was sick so we we don't actually have a show that uh that we ship for roots so there was a a break there and we had the TypeScript show instead so Uh, Thanks to the sponsors and thanks to all you for listening. And uh, with that, fellas, let's say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.